Imagine, if you will, a podcast. A podcast beyond that which is known to man. It exists in both fandom and discovery, in viewing and critiquing. My name is Matt Hurt. This is Anthology. And welcome to Anthology, presented by ObsessiveViewer.com. If this is your first time listening, Anthology is a podcast exploring science fiction anthology storytelling during television's first golden age, beginning with The Twilight Zone. Each podcast, I share my thoughts on an episode of this iconic series as a first-time viewer, as well as share some trivia about the episode. I then end each podcast with a bonus review of a, of a movie or show related to this week's episode, or in this week's case, a listener-recommended uh, title. You can find more of Anthology at anthologypod.com, and if you want to contact me, you can like the Facebook page at facebook.com slash anthologypod, tweet me at obsessiveviewer, send an email to matt at obsessiveviewer.com, or call and leave me a voicemail at 317-762-6099. And finally, if you like what you hear and want to support the podcast, please, please head over to iTunes and leave a rating and a review. Uh, the more ratings and reviews I get, the easier it will be for people to find the show in iTunes search results and, you know, just grow the podcast from there. Today on the podcast, I'll be discussing The Fever. It's the 17th episode of The Twilight Zone's first season, and it aired on January 29th, 1960. And my bonus review this week is actually a listener-recommended title. Uh, Greg from Spokane, Washington emailed me a couple weeks ago and recommended the the 1966 John Frankenheimer film Seconds. Uh, Greg says that Seconds quote, explores a theme Twilight Zone has fun with on more than one occasion, that of be careful what you wish for. More on that later, but for now, let's review The Fever. Um, As always, I will be spoiling the episode of The Twilight Zone in this podcast, but my bonus review will be spoiler-free. Okay, so here is an episode summary for uh, The Fever. Franklin and his wife Flora go to Las Vegas because she won a slogan contest. He detests gambling, but his wife is excited about their vacation. Franklin is given a coin by a drunk man at the casino who makes Franklin use it in a slot machine. He wins and tells his wife that they should keep the winnings and not lose it back like the other people. As they depart, Franklin believes he hears the slot machine calling his name. He continues to hear this as he tries to sleep. As he imagines his winnings piling up, he decides to try his luck, telling his wife he cannot keep tainted money and that he is going to get rid of it by putting it back in the machine. Later, Flora goes to the casino and finds him playing the machine obsessively. Addicted, Franklin has lost a great deal of their money. When Flora tries to coax him to stop, Franklin declares that he has lost so much that he has to try to win some of it back. He becomes enraged when she presses for him to leave, declaring that the machine is inhuman, that it teases you, sucks you in. Others observe that he has been playing the machine for hours. When Franklin puts his last dollar into the machine, it malfunctions and will not spin. Feeling fiendishly cheated out of his last chance to strike it rich, Franklin begins yelling and attacking the machine to give him back his last dollar. He is taken out of the casino screaming. Later in bed, Franklin tells Flora that the machine was about to pay off, but deliberately broke down so that he so that it wouldn't have to. He then hears the machine calling again his name. 
To his horror, he sees the slot machine coming down the hallway towards their room, chasing him, but Flora cannot see it and believes that he is going crazy. When the machine continues to follow him, repeating his name over and over, he backs up towards the window, his hands over his ears, finally crashing through the glass and falling to his death. The police stand over his body, noting that his wife had stated that he had not slept in 24 hours. A casino manager comments that he's seen a lot of them get hooked before, but never like him. The last scene shows Franklin's last dollar rolling up and spinning out flat near his outstretched undead er, his outstretched dead hand. The camera pans over to the direction from which the coin uh, came, and there sits the machine, smiling at him. All right, so um, there are two main actors in this episode, obviously. Um, Everett Sloan plays Franklin Gibbs. Um, this was his only episode of The Twilight Zone. However, he did act in uh, Serling's Patterns, which was one of the... T- uh, um, I don't have the notes in front of me right now, but it was one of the... One, I think Patterns was Serling's like breakout TV hit that eventually led to him you know, becoming more of a household name in terms of uh, TV writing. Um, but... Uh, Everett Sloan played in both that original broadcast of Patterns and in the movie that was adapted of it. So, sadly, he uh, passed away from an apparent suicide because he was afraid he was going blind. Um, according to an article on Sloan in Films of the Golden Age, number 80 from spring 2015, Sloan's deep depression over his eyesight led him to disappear from his home on August 4th, 1965, propelling his family to file a missing persons report. Sloan reportedly went to a drugstore in the San Fernando Valley and purchased 25 barbiturate uh, tablets. He returned home in, on the evening of August 6th and was found dead the following morning in his bedroom. He left two letters in unmarked envelopes. So that's that's pretty sad. Um, playing, uh, his, playing Mrs. Gibbs in this episode is uh, Vivi Janice. This is her first of two episodes of The Twilight Zone. We'll next see her in Season 2's The Man in the Bottle. And as far as other um, science fiction-related um, titles in her filmography, she also appeared in 1955's The Phantom from 10,000 Leagues. So that's about all I could find on her. And writer for this episode is Mr. Rod Serling. Um, this episode was actually inspired by a celebratory trip to uh, Las Vegas when uh, Serling first signed the twilight zone um apparently his wife carol serling had good luck at the casino but he kept losing at, to a slot machine um similar to the one that was shown in the episode and apparently he was stuck at it for for a while so that was the impetus for this for this story and director for this episode is robert flory um he this is his second of three Twilight Zone episodes. His first was Perchance to Dream earlier this season. And next we'll see his work in season five's uh, The Long Morrow. And it's worth noting that he also directed one episode of The Outer Limits. So, okay, so now we've come to the part of the episode where I talk about my feelings on this episode as a first-time viewer of The Twilight Zone. And uh, I'll just start off by saying that the, the episode opens with the Gibbs speaking with the casino staff and, and that's fine and everything. But, um, Mrs. Gibbs tells the man, uh, tells one of the, one of the two men that the name of their hometown paper after, uh, the man had taken a picture of her, of them. 
and the man was had a kind of confused reaction and that that kind of tripped me up a little bit because this episode this episode spoiler for the end of this review but this episode was really solid and really strong and had a very clear message but this confused bit of dialogue at the beginning of it made me think that maybe the maybe the casino staff and casino owners had more sinister plans for the couple um which it could be argued that i guess that that scene could probably signify how many people the casino kind of lures to las vegas with these contests that mrs gibbs won and maybe that could be the connection there but i was kind of expecting a bigger more impactful like casino owners luring people to um just basically having more sinister plants and that aspect didn't really pay off for me in the initial viewing of it but on my second viewing i i made my peace with it and it was fine something that really kind of stuck out to me early in the episode is that mr and mrs gibbs are another somewhat miserable couple um franklin is domineering and and very much uh morally guided um and it reminded me somewhat of uh, Walter Bedecker in Escape Clause, but he's not nearly as insufferable and horrible as as Bedecker was. But I guess Franklin is reasonable, but he's still kind of – he's just not a likable protagonist for me. But his performance, the performance of uh, Everett Sloan in this role was really, really fantastic. I, I thought that he sold it really well. And I really like Franklin's progression um, – and how his domineering personality just kind of, kind of effortlessly transitions into a, a rationalizing, uh, into the way that he rationalizes his desire to go back to the machine. Um, he's given money to play, and then he goes back because he's because his justification for going back to the machine isn't that he's you know being lured to it or, or he's he's forming an addiction to to gambling. Um, it's because he's carrying tainted money, and that kind of that kind of characterization is brilliant because it's not it's in keeping with with that type of character and that type of personality that nothing that he's doing is his fault it's not it's not his it he's he has such a for lack of a better word he has such a stick up his butt about gambling and everything that when he succumbs to um being drawn into gambling and and to an addiction to it it's because he has this he has this block in his mind he, and he has this justification it's it's very it's a very real depiction and it's a good honest depiction of addiction and it's it's actually really honest and, and a little heartbreaking as well cuz this this is a type of depiction of a personality fault or or um i'm trying to think of a way to kind of characterize it without seeming insensitive but a, a character flaw basically it's a, it's a very real depiction of of a character flaw that afflicts so many people and and it's i mean this is this is something this this urge and this this pull toward an addiction this dive into addiction is something that destroys lives and destroys families on a daily basis and it's it's a theme and i'm jumping ahead a little bit but this is a theme and this is a story that can still resonate today, and that that's something that I find extraordinarily powerful um, about this episode of the Twilight Zone. And I just I just love the way that it was depicted, and I thought that it was um, so so later on when he is 
you know, when he becomes more addicted to the machine, this this characterization is played out so beautifully because the physical representation of of uh, Franklin as he's sinking more and more money into this machine is that it appears as if the machine is like literally draining his life force. And I absolutely loved that, that depiction because that really sold his descent into this, into this terrible, uh, lifestyle and terrible, uh, decision. Um, it sold it so, so well. And then, uh, to go forward with that, the machine taking his last dollar and then, deliberately breaking down is so villainous like up until this point or not up until this point necessarily but because we still had the voice of the machine uh luring him but aside from that and in the deliberately deliberately breaking down of the machine and the machine haunting him it's this whole episode stays really grounded and it's it kind of reminds me a little bit of um time enough at last because that's another character that has a very strong addiction to something that that um infiltrates his daily life and and it's i feel like these two episodes pair together very well and when the machine finally comes for franklin after he's after he goes back to the room just the way that the machine says franklin i have notes in in the trivia section about that but the way that it says franklin that was a terrible impression. I apologize. But um, the way that it says Franklin is just so scary and haunting and just a really great piece of set dressing for this episode and this and this uh, to kind of bring it around to a, a more frightening thing. And then it culminates with Franklin falling out the window to his death, which I mean, the way that it was handled, I can I could kind of see it coming. And I, I remember that one of my emailers, one of the listeners emailed in in the early days of the podcast and mentioned to keep keep track or, or keep notice of the different times that people fall out of windows or, um, there's, there's mirrors and, and, uh, any, any type of glass really. <laughs> and I'm noticing that, I mean, we're only 17 episodes into the first season and, and it's been pretty, pretty much standard, standard for many episodes. So not that I have a, not that I have a problem with it or anything, but I'm, I'm kind of starting to come around to noticing it. Um, not that it's not not that it's a problem because it was a a brilliant end to the to the character and a very fitting end to the character that of course he's going to lose his life because he's he's in the twilight zone and he is succumbing to a force that isn't that is that is basically controlling him and there's no real way for him to to successfully get out of it. Um let's see. So I mentioned that the sound effects and the the sound of the machine saying his name is really really effective and, and great but the actual sound effects of the machine and the design of the machine itself they're very very great like the the machine looks like a face like it actually looks like a face but it doesn't look silly or anything like that it, it doesn't look it doesn't look over the top it just it looks like a haunting imposing object without being while still maintaining its um and and in it in inanimate inanimatability i don't know if that's a word but but while still being a machine and not like taking on and not being anthropomorphized too much it's still a machine and it's still i think that 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 way that it keeps its inanimate objectness 
is really effective at delivering the actual theme and, and the, the, the caution, the cautionary tale of the episode, basically. I think that's really effective at, at the way that it was handled. I also have a couple notes about just the filmmaking in general in that, um, I loved that there was another Dutch angle, um, that's famous in this, in this series going, going forward <laughs> as far as I, as far as I've seen so far. Um, just a brilliant use of the Dutch angle as Franklin just sinks deeper and deeper into his addiction as he's just pouring more and more money into the slot machines. It's just the camera tilts and you can see how skewed his, his life and his, uh, um, his experience has become. And, uh, also there's a scene with Franklin in bed. It's after, after he's lost all his money and after he's been pulled away from the machine, just the way that it's framed, it's like very close up and tight on his face and the lighting and the, just the cinematography of that scene is just absolutely beautiful. And you really get a sense of how deeply, how, how deeply affected he is by, by this machine, how much it's, how much it's controlled his life. And, and just the, the way that it's shot is just really spectacular. I, I loved it. Um, and it made me kind of forgive the somewhat hokiness of, of Franklin falling out of the window. Not that it was too bad. Cause it's, I mean, it, it, there was really no way to effectively, effectively, uh, film that without, uh, film that and keep it as a surprise. So it was, it was kind of easy to know that that's the next step of the story. But the way that it happens, he just falls and then his voice cuts off and then, and then Flora's voice, like it cuts to her screaming and just the way that it, it isn't as cohesive as I would have liked. But, um, it's not a big complaint because that scene, just that, just that shot of Franklin in bed is just, it's just so beautiful and it's, it's really spectacular in the episode as, as a whole. Okay. And for, um, for cultural subtext and, and the theme of the episode and everything, um, like I said, I just think that this episode's depiction of gambling is and and, and sinking into addiction is is just so so wonderful and and so honest. This is such a haunting episode to me because it like it begins the it it, it begins with the um, it starts with the positive reinforcement of. Uh, of them winning and then it just shows so clearly how Franklin is pulled into this addiction and it's frankly it's it's really really um honest and and uh horrifying to me because it is a simple thing it is a simple thing to just succumb to something and and lose your willpower and not have the willpower to notice how deep you are getting how how deep you are being um, drawn into this, to this extraordinarily negative thing. And it's, I mean, it's a simple, it's a simple metaphor for addiction and everything. Cause it's gambling and gambling addiction is a thing, but it can be transposed to any type of addiction. Um, and it's really heartbreaking when you think of all the lives that have been lost and, and families destroyed by something that is, uh, so terrible like, as addiction. And this episode really encompasses that, that experience in such a small amount of time. Um, so honestly, and so straightforward, I guess it, it, it's really spectacular. And I, I'm amazed at how, so one thing that I'm continuously amazed by with the twilight zone as I'm going through it, because the whole conceit of this podcast is that I'm going through the twilight zone as a first time viewer of the show. And 
obviously that is um, kind of uh, it's a unique perspective to come at. It's a unique perspective to come at a uh, Twilight Zone themed podcast um, because a lot of people have, you know, the Twilight Zone is they grew up with it and they have this very, very big um, affinity for it. And the thing that I'm noticing more and more as I watch these episodes is just how much the stories and the characters and the situations, how much it resonates today, even even today. Um, so much like 50 60 years in the future and it's just it's just magnificent to me and i absolutely love and respect the show for it and i keep i keep just finding myself really enamored with the way that the story is the stories are told and the way that they resonate with me so i just i just really am finding myself appreciating the series more and more with each episode that i watch and um it's making me <laughs> it's making me incredibly aware how unqualified i am to host a podcast about it but um thank you guys for following along with me um the other uh cultural subtext slash theme i have for this episode is uh kind of i guess i guess silly um so I mentioned um, in what episode was it? It was uh, Third from the Sun. In that episode, I mentioned that they're, they're twin beds. Um, and I wondered if it was a sensor thing or like a, like a standards and practices thing. And there's twin beds in this episode as well with Mr. and Mrs. Gibbs and twin beds in the, uh, in the hotel room. But uh, like that, mean, that in the way that uh, Franklin and Flora their interactions are because like i said franklin is a very domineering and and uh angry personality and kind of uh moral to the point of being just overbearing um uh to his wife and very angry toward her and what's funny is that like between this and uh escape clause and the the way that the husband and wife interact in in those episodes it's it makes me wonder if this is if if my i wouldn't I'm, I'm not offended by it by any stretch i'm just i'm just kind of like surprised to see it so angrily depicted basically with with the husband scolding his wife for several different things and i'm kind of wondering if that if if my reaction to that is more a, a symptom of me viewing this viewing the series as a first time viewer in 2016. And I kind of wonder if it's just another sign of the time that this is back in the early sixties at this point, And it's a different time and a different way that uh, relationships are depicted and, and had at, at that time. I kind of wonder if that's something that I should be taking into consideration as I go forward with this series, because it is a different time. And now we're kind of in this diff- vastly different culture. And uh, there's very, it, it it's interesting that that stands out to me is basically what I'm trying to say. Okay. So, um, I have a little bit of trivia before I wrap up this review. Um, the ending credits introduced the theme music that was later used in the second through fourth seasons of the show. Obviously having not seen the second, third or fourth season of the show, um, this was news to me. <laughs> And this was the only this was the only point in the first season where this music was used in place of the original theme music, and I'm not sure exactly why. And 
the first time I watched it, the first time I watched this episode, I didn't even notice it because it's it's pretty similar. But when I rewatched it before this recording, I I took note of the different changes, and that's about all I have on that um, on that subject. We'll hear more of that next season, I guess. More trivia about the episode is, uh, according to Buck Houghton, uh, the producer of the Twilight Zone, uh, he said, quote, gambling machines were illegal in California. A prop house couldn't even uh, have them, so we had to get, uh, and I love that they're called one-armed bandits, but uh, we had to get one-armed bandits from the police department where they were impounded. It was just like a machine gun. You had to have a policeman along with it. There was a policeman on set at all times to make sh- to make damn sure that nobody that somebody didn't take one off and set it up in his uncle's barber shop. And I don't know, just something about something about the <laughs> something about this this machine on a on a set for a TV show being so closely guarded is is so quaint to me or so so amusing to me. It's it's I don't know. I I, I love that piece of trivia um as for the actual sound effects that i mentioned earlier is there was such this was so fascinating to me when i read it but there was a very unique way that they made the sound of the machine basically if i'm understanding this correctly they recorded the sound of hundreds of dimes and quarters going down a metal chute and then they strapped two uh, small speakers to the sides of a man's esophagus, and they played the sound through the speakers, and basically the man shaped the words with his mouth so that the audio would actually come through his mouth. He wasn't actually, from my understanding, he wasn't actually making any noise. It was just the sound being fed uh, through his, the, the sound connected to his throat, or his esophagus was reverberating through his mouth as he was shaping the shaping the words of the machine through it and i just my god that that is just fascinating i love that i absolutely love that that's that's incredible also the the actual machine um that i mentioned the the look of it is very creepy and unsettling without being um without being anthropomorphized or monster like um, this actual machine is going to be used in a couple future episodes. Apparently it's going to be in a nice place to visit and the prime mover. So looking forward to seeing that again and potentially having it haunt my, haunt my dreams. <laughs> As for closing thoughts for this episode of the twilight zone, um, I think it's no secret. I absolutely love this episode. This, I thought that this was a really, a really fascinating story really and with such a clear and well-told theme and through line basically there there was such a clear narrative through line with this episode and it told such a simple and, and somewhat heartbreaking story even though that the even though the main character the protagonist isn't really the most likable person at the start just his downward spiral into this uh addiction is is just really really well handled and also i didn't mention that i love the way that everett sloan portrays this kind of exasperated and and very uh parched way that like he puts this like parched affectation on his voice and and the way that it's handled is just really well done on his part i thought i really really easily bought that he was um exhausted exhausted and physically drained and still so motivated to or devoted to this machine. I thought that there was a really spectacular performance by him. And it's a shame that, you know, his, his real life story is so tragic because 
it would have been interesting to see more of him, at least in the Twilight Zone. So, yeah, I thought that this was a very strong episode. It's It doesn't rank as high with me as um, <laughs> actually an episode that I'm going to talk about in an upcoming episode and uh, some of the past episodes uh, per se, but I, I like it more than I liked... Uh, um, let's see, Robert Flory's previous entry in the Twilight Zone, Perchance to Dream. Um, but another really, really great, um, really haunting, um, entry in the Twilight Zone is, is this episode, The Fever. Okay, as always, before we move on to the bonus review for this episode, here's a highlight from episode 164 of The Obsessive Viewer. It's a weekly movie and TV podcast that I host with my friends Mike and Tiny over at obsessiveviewer.com. I didn't mind as a plot device. The, I, I love the idea of the past trying to correct itself. Like like you said, you're a big uh, Lost fan, and I'm a huge, like it's one of my top three favorite shows ever. And they kind of have that, you know, whatever happened, happened, and uh, those kind of uh, uh, rules established in it. And I just, I love that kind of structure to something where it's it's not man versus man. It's not two people running back in time and fighting each other or anything. And it's not uh, uh, James Franco going back in the past and just coming across Lee Harvey Oswald and unraveling this plot. It's, you know, there's forces that are against him. Of course, you can find The Obsessive Viewer on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and at ObsessiveViewer.com. And also, just quick plug, uh, we're currently running a uh, iTunes review promotion on that on that podcast, where if you write a review of uh, The Obsessive Viewer on iTunes, and then like the Facebook page and send us a message telling us your iTunes username, if you do that before July 1st, 2016, you are eligible for a $10 gift card to Amazon. So, you know, if you're listening to this and haven't taken the plunge to listen to The Obsessive Viewer, or if you do listen to The Obsessive Viewer and want to be included, uh, please do, because we're really trying to get some more iTunes reviews. And also, of course, more iTunes reviews for Anthology. That's always a good thing. <sighs> okay, so this week's bonus review is, as, as mentioned before, it's the 1966 film Seconds. Uh, again, it was suggested by listener Greg from Spokane, Washington. And uh, according to Greg, uh, in his email, he said, 1966 Seconds uh, was lensed by a giant of cinematography, James Wong Howe. And as I said earlier in this episode, it explores a theme Twilight Zone has fun with on more than one occasion, that of be careful what you wish for. And so I watched... I watched Seconds a couple weeks ago, and like I said, it's I'm not going to spoil it in this episode, but man, I really, I definitely saw the connection to the Twilight Zone in this in this movie, it, it, especially in pacing, really, because it came to a point where about I was about maybe two thirds of the way through the movie, and I kind of just expected it to be. I expected to be still kind of in the setup, and and just the way that the story went through that. Um, that uh, went through that pacing so well, it, it really shocked me. I really appreciated the pacing in this movie is what I'm, what I'm getting at here. Basically, the movie seconds, I'll actually go ahead and read a uh, plot description for those who don't know what it's about. An unhappy middle-aged banker agrees to a procedure that will fake his death and give him a completely new look and identity, one that comes with its own price. And... Yeah, I, I really enjoyed this movie 
quite a bit, and I loved the pacing. As I said, um, the pacing felt like just like Twilight Zone. And there's a lot of mirrors also that also reminded me of the Twilight Zone. Um, I'm kind of going over some some really uh, crazy... Uh, I'm going through some erratic notes that I took during it, so bear with me here. But yeah, so I really enjoyed this movie, and I, I thought that the the editing was a little jagged and there were some weird sound issues that I thought were inconsistent. Like, like there were some weird ADR issues, I think. But, uh, by the way, I rented this off of Google play for like two ninety nine, So it's worth renting because especially if you're a fan of the twilight zone, cause it's very much, uh, twilight zone in spirit like that, that feel. And there's, okay. So through, through some really interesting music and some tight shots of, uh, and, and Rock Hudson's performance, really, uh, the movie just really sells this surrealness and the surrealness of the situation that the main character is in. It sells it really well. And what I love about it is that there's this unexplained kind of, I, I want to say industry, but this, this corporation, I, I guess I would say, wh- that's kind of, you know, creating this this world or, or the creating these, these things where they're faking the deaths of people and re surgically, um, changing their appearance. And it's just, it's really, really interesting. It's a really interesting setup and it's carried out very well, I think. And, um, there were some interesting bits about it that, um, I can't really go into without spoiling it, but, um, I'll go ahead and just say that the the kind of toward the end of the movie there's some some things that the main character does that um lead to lead to the climax of the movie that I thought was a little bizarre but it it was pretty fitting um for the character really in in that moment that's all over the place but there's a weird moment also where he meets a younger woman and they go through this uh they go to this vineyard really. And it's this weird, like it's this weird, surreal, like, uh, like party scene that at first I was, I was just like kind of put off by it. Like what, like I was just wondering like what, what's going on here? I don't understand. But then it kind of clicked with me that he's this middle-aged man who has been transformed into this younger, younger person for lack of a better characterization of him. But it's, it's depicted really well because it's him experiencing this other, this basically this other probably generation really. Um, and this other lifestyle that he just wasn't aware of or or a part of. And I I thought that that was really handled really well. And it was a, it was a cool, a cool piece of, um, visual storytelling really. And, and that scene, and it, and it ends with a very Twilight Zone type of ending, which I won't I won't go into obviously, but I recommend seeing it. It's definitely a really interesting interesting movie, and and I don't think I've ever seen any Rock Hudson performances, but I really enjoyed his performance in this movie, and it has some really really deep things to say um, about youth and life and and trying to get a second chance at 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 life, I guess, or being happy where you, with what, like where you are in life, basically. So I, I appreciated the movie and I appreciate Greg for, um, recommending it. And I hope that this review was not as all over the place as I think it was. 
but basically I, I really liked it and the Twilight Zone style pacing is what really spoke to me in this movie because it is very much a Twilight Zone-esque um, movie and it's very much uh, worthy of uh, discussion alongside the Twilight Zone. So thanks again, Greg, for writing in with that. And I encourage anyone who has some suggestions for uh, bonus reviews uh, of movies or shows uh, in the episodes to come to let me know what they are. Matt at ObsessiveViewer.com and I will uh, I'll put that into the uh, rotation and check them out. So that about does it for this week's episode of Anthology. And uh, just so you know, I think that this... Obviously, if you're li- when you're listening to this episode, you know, but this episode is likely going to be up about a day later than usual. Um, and I want to give you a warning that episode 13, that's next week's episode, is episode 13. It's uh, going to be reviewing The Last Flight, Twilight Zone episode, uh, season one, episode 18. Really excited to discuss that episode. And the bonus review is going to be of Master of the World, a 1961 movie that is um, currently available in full on YouTube. But anyway, just fair warning, that episode might drop a little bit later than usual, um, and that's because this weekend, this coming weekend, is Indie PopCon, which is uh, where me and my co-host Tiny are going to be all weekend here in Indianapolis. If you're in the area, please stop by and um, visit us. We're booth 448, and let me know that you listen to Anthology, because that would be because that would be awesome. And uh, I have business cards for both Anthology and Obsessive Viewer. So you'll be able to get some of those. And it's going to be fun. So anyway, uh, so plan ahead for that episode maybe popping up maybe Tuesday or Wednesday next week because usually I record these episodes on Sundays and then review them or and then edit them and then post them Sunday night. But like I'm recording this a little late on Sunday night. So this will be posting like probably a day later. But going to be the same thing with next week's episode because i'll be at indie popcon all week all weekend but uh never fear that doesn't mean that i'm going on hiatus again um or anything like that i'm still very much involved with this podcast and uh really excited about next week's episode so yeah other than that i think that about does it um i feel like this episode was kind of brief and i apologize but like i said i'm recording a little later i'm also also just got a new job that requires a lot more of my attention than my previous job did so um, it's a little bit of an adjustment here over at uh, Anthology so bear with me and uh, I hope you guys have a good week and I'll kick it to the pre-record outros thanks for listening and I'll see you next week Thank you for listening to Anthology, presented by ObsessiveViewer.com. You can find more episodes at AnthologyPod.com, and you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or your preferred podcast app. If you'd like to help support the podcast, please take a few minutes to leave a rating and a review on iTunes. The more reviews I get, the higher the show will be ranked in iTunes search results, making it easier for people to discover it and grow the podcast. Of course, you can always email me your thoughts and feelings about the show to matt at obsessiveviewer.com. You can also tweet me at obsessiveviewer, like the Facebook page at facebook.com slash anthologypod, or you can call and leave me a voicemail at 317-762-6099. 
for a chance to have it played on the show. If you like what you've heard here, I urge you to check out The Obsessive Viewer, a weekly movie and TV podcast I host with my friends Mike and Tiny. Also check out The Obsessive Viewer blog at obsessiveviewer.com where I write movie reviews, TV reviews, and the occasional editorial about the business of entertainment. If you want even more obsessive content in your life, subscribe to The Obsessive Viewer subreddit at r slash obsessiveviewer and check out obsessivebooknerd.com, our sister site for book reviews, author spotlights, and a general celebration of reading. Finally, if you're philosophically curious... Check out my friend Tiny's side project podcast, The Secular Perspective, which explores the concepts of faith, religion, and existence from the perspective of secular hosts. You can find that at thesecularperspective.com. Once again, thank you very much for listening, and I'll see you next time.